that was the biggest lesson in my whole business life. We were focusing very narrowly on what we could do for them. We hadn't looked at what was really, really important to the body shop. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi there, listeners of the Selling with Love podcast. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. I'm running a little competition as we're trying to get more people to discover this podcast and the work that inspires those to sell with love more. And the best way to do this is to leave reviews, both on Spotify and on Apple Podcast. And for those of you who leave a review when listening to this episode, I would ask you to take a screenshot of your review and send it to me at jason at jasonmarkcampbell.com. And in doing so, I'm going to give you a set of meditations that you can use to get into the state of selling with love, whether it's connecting with your buyer, affirmations before making calls or any kind of outreach. These will empower you to be feeling powerful and to be able to do it from a place of love. It is a reward for supporting the show, being a loyal listener, and of course, being able to give more to my amazing audience. Thank you for always showing up, listening, and being inspired by the amazing guests that I get to interview and I get to share their message with you. So again, just leave a review. Take a screenshot of the review. This can be done on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts and email it directly to me, jason at jasonmarkcampbell.com. Thank you, and now let's get started with our episode. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. I have a fantastic guest today who is the founder of RJEN, a business consultancy company that works internationally with ambitious businesses from large corporates to SMEs. They develop business strategies, transform results, and expand their competitive advantage. Rebecca Jenkins is the author of the book, Winning Big in Sales, Proven Steps for Ambitious Teams to Win, Grow, and Retain the Best Accounts. And she has a leadership career spanning 25 years, has grown businesses to over 55 million pounds, which is a fantastic fantastic track record working with accounts such as The Body Shop, The Next, as well as Magnet. What we're going to be talking about today is really understanding what does it take to win a big account. And we're going to go through her methodology, the vital strategy that allows you to be more effective in the way that you sell. So pay attention and listen, because what you might realize is you might be one sale away from really transforming your business. So I'm excited to have Rebecca with me. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. Jason, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your podcast. Thank you very much. I am excited to have you. You know, I really love the fact that you've actually been someone who focused so much on winning big accounts. And I remember when you first started, you felt like maybe it wasn't going so smoothly. You really wanted to work for some big accounts. And the moment you got them, it really changed things. And I wanted to go back to that beginning for you to kind of walk us through like what made you decide to go for the big accounts and what happened when you got it? Oh, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share this story because I worked in a very competitive industry. There's a hundred thousand competitors just in the UK and that industry is in logistics. So hundreds and thousands of logistics companies. And I didn't want us just to be a business moving goods from A to B. I wanted to do more and provide more value and win big opportunities where we could 
where we could really make a difference. I guess that was our big kind of mission, really. And with big opportunities, you secure the people in the business, you can see the future growth of your business, and it's exciting to work with big companies. So that was just an ambition that we had as a business and really wanted to go after those large accounts. But it was difficult to get that first breakthrough and kept trying, kept going after the big ones and weren't successful. And then we realised that kind of we were not approaching things in quite the right way. And we decided to take a step back and not just respond to any tender documents, but to actually really get to know the companies we wanted to work with before we even spoke to them. And one of those big clients was the body shop. And that was a contract we won and kept for 15, 16 years, something like that. And I knew everything about the body shop. We went into their stores. We knew their products. We went to their distribution center. We did the body shop tour. The body shop was set up by Anita Roddick, very strong entrepreneur. I was really inspired by her. And so we just knew everything, everything about the business and got to know the team. And through knowing the team and the decision makers, the opportunity came to bid for their business, to do their distribution for them. And that was a very exciting, exciting opportunity. I didn't know if we were going to win it or not. There's an inherent risk that comes from pursuing the bigger accounts because it seems like you really spend time to get to know them, learn the ins and outs. And it's almost like right now we're all trying to go for scale. We're all trying to go for automation. And it seems, I don't know if it's easier, it seems more logical to just go for a whole lot of meeting accounts. And, you know, you use these tools, you can reach out on LinkedIn and you can just be like, well, I might as well reach out to a hundred mediums as opposed to put all my eggs in one basket, try to get a big account. Because if they say no, the whole thing was a waste of time. What do you think about that viewpoint that a lot of us could have? Well, I think it's a, a great viewpoint, actually, and one that needs to be dissected a bit, because I always recommend to companies that you take a two-pronged approach. You need to keep the bread and butter with the perhaps slightly smaller opportunities. But if you really are ambitious and you want to scale and go after big opportunities, it's not difficult to do it. And it makes such a difference to your business. And so I really encourage companies to take a very narrow and focused approach, still continue with a broad approach and using LinkedIn, as you've just mentioned, is a great way to do that, but get really clear and really focused about the companies you would love to do business with because you feel you can add value. You feel that your values might be well aligned. You love what they do and you just think they'd be a great client to have. And once you've got that list and I recommend, you know, make a list of 20 to 50, depending on the size of your business, and then do the research and get those insights. And you know, it doesn't take long to do that research. And when you start to delve deeply into what's important in that business, what are their strategic goals, you'll find some clues in there that help you to approach that company with those insights and demonstrate how you can make a difference to them. And when you take that approach, companies are surprised that you've done the research, interested in what you have to say, because you are touching on the things that are important to them. So let's take an example, a very recent one, a global business 
And I, through the research that we'd done on them, we realised that they were struggling with key account retention. And that's an area that I focus on. So I have a document about how do you shift from transactional sales to transformational sales and to grow your key accounts using the vital methodology. So I approached this company and I did that on LinkedIn and I said, look, I've got a document which I think might be of real interest to you, addresses this particular issue. And the message came back and said, oh yeah, I'd be really interested to have a look at that. But that didn't surprise me because we'd done the research. And uh, now that has led to a further conversation with other people in the business because we now know that on average in large corporates it's about seven people that make the decision it's not just one person or their influencers so my book is going to them and I'm talking with their team about implementing this as a development program in their company but that is one of the that's a global business it's the largest company in its sector so I say be brave do the insights, then you know, you feel really prepared, really confident, and you go and approach that company with something different. It's not just the usual, come and buy my product. <laughs> it's more strategic in your approach. I know we're going to dig down into this vital framework, because I think that's key for people to come with this different approach. But I wanted to poke a bit more about this, you know, going towards larger account, because I think even for me, like I haven't done a lot of B2B sales. Most of my experience has been in the B2C world, but I've done business with smaller companies, but I've not done like these global corporations like you're doing business with right now. And I wanted to just see what are the big differences we should keep in mind as we're going to be reaching out to them. You've already mentioned how there could be up to seven decision makers. Are there things that we should be really conscious about and maybe shift our approach to realize like, hey, this is a different beast altogether? I think the key thing is everybody's busy. I just work on the basis that they're even busier than I might be. And I feel fairly busy, as I'm sure you do, Jason. But yeah, let's just assume they're far busier and therefore... When we approach them, we have to have something that differentiates us in the market, differentiates what we do, makes them sit up, take stock and listen. So it's adding value for something that they hadn't considered or that you can show them a different way, a different perspective, a different approach. So I think that's number one. And number two is, and somebody reminded me of this recently, if this one individual that you are contacting isn't receptive because it's a big organization there'll be others so don't just think it's one strike and you're out if they don't respond it's a massive organization there'll be other people so don't stop there and that links into the point of you know maybe seven decision makers or influencers in the process there's always other people that you can consider but I think for me it's around the preparation don't go in when you think you've got an idea. Really think the idea through and think through how best to approach them. Understand what their values are, understand what's important to them and build that in to your approach to connect with them. I find it's often lazy and convenient and unprepared to just reach out and being like, hey, we have this product. We'd like to know, do you think that would be helpful to you? Can you tell us some of what your problems are without doing any research? And then 
you're creating a problem for them because you're asking them to start telling you what's going on and it's not making their life easier. You're making their life harder. You're bothering them. So I think coming in with a very different energy and different approach, as you suggest, actually shows that you're there to save them time. I can just think of times that I've had people work with me and they're just like, okay, yeah, I can do anything. Tell me what to do. And it's like, oh, I just wish someone would come and tell me, hey, if you do this, it'll do that. And you gain that clarity and then it gives you results and it brings a solution. And I think that's a way better way to approach it in sales as well. And you have your methodology, the vital methodology. And I thought it'd be a great way to give inspiration and a framework for people to pay attention on how they can approach differently, regardless of the size of the organization that they decide to sell to. Yes, it's so simple. Because it's so simple, it works and it's very effective. And the vital methodology stands for creating that vision of the companies you would love to work with and looking at your capability to convert in the vision. And the I stands for gathering the insights, which is doing the research beforehand. And then the T stands for create a transformation. So approach those companies with an idea of a transformation. That could be a transformational concept at this stage, a concept that you think that you could provide to make a difference in their business. So go with something. It's a discussion point. It's a talking point. You want to get their feedback on that. You're not saying you've got the final thing, but you've got an idea here. And you get their feedback, you get their engagement. And as you get that, you can continue to refine and improve it. You get their feedback to enable you to do that. And you might set up a discussion with other people in the company to kind of Look at this idea that you've put forward, this transformation you put forward. And then the A and the L. A stands for taking action because it's all very well knowing the methodology, but unless you take action, it's never going to result in anything. And the L stands for leadership because all of this is about leading your prospect or leading your clients through the methodology and building that relationship with them and taking them through it and showing them how it can make a massive difference in their business. So, you know, I think you believe this as well, that leadership is a very significant part of sales, so leading the client and leading yourself. I mean, it all starts with us leadership, but, you know, leading ourselves and the client through yeah, I love particularly that leadership part because it speaks to the ethos of selling with love as well as taking that responsibility to step up and lead the client towards the promised land and speaking their language, taking care to know them. All of this comes from a position of leadership. I'd be curious to know whether it's in your own work or through the work of some of the people that follow your methodology. Do you feel like one of these steps is one that most people struggle with or find it more difficult to go through? And what have you typically recommended for those who reach a hiccup? I guess the challenging part is once you've collected all the insights, now the insights aren't a difficult part to do at all. It's all available for us to see. And oh, I'd love to share another example with you on that, but to address your question. So gathering the insights is, is the easy part. Creating the transformational concept can be a little bit more challenging because you've got all this information You've got to try and somehow align that with what you do, with the strategic goals of your client, and also to consider the client's client. That's so often the piece that's missed out. What's important to the client's client as well? 
and then bring all of that together. And I suggest companies have brainstorming sessions with their team and other departments. And if it's a small business, just with your close team members and just thrash out some ideas about how you could use those insights and what you do to create that transformation. And you may want to sit on that for a while and let the ideas brew. This is about the preparation, as I said before. Don't jump in, do this piece, because it will get you more traction when you come to present it. When you went and made the presentation to the body shop, which I know was one of the big accounts that you got in the early stages for the company, what was the kind of transformation? I don't know if this is something you're free to disclose that you've done with them that made you stand out from everybody else that was doing a similar product. Well, when we won the body shop contract, because we had all of those insights, because I knew them inside out, and as did the team, when they went to tender, we were able to put a very different tender together. But that was only step one. We were never the cheapest. You know, it was always about providing a fantastic service and providing quality and delivering a fantastic customer experience. But the big story and the bigger learning, in fact, came after we'd won it. And we had delivered to every single key performance indicator that Body Shop had asked us to deliver on. And we had gotten through Christmas and their volumes were massive and we'd set up warehouses to do pick and pack operations and all that sort of thing. And we'd responded supremely well. I don't think nobody could have challenged us on that. This was a dream client, you know, so we absolutely did everything we could. And then I remember going to a meeting in January and I was expecting a massive pat on the back, you know, to say, hey, your team's done brilliantly. We're so impressed. We're so pleased. And they said, your team's done brilliantly. We're so impressed. We're so pleased. But. <laughs> and the big but was, you're boring. And if you don't change, you won't keep this contract. <laughs> and I remember feeling completely blown away by that. I was just so taken aback. What did they mean? Here we were doing a great service and now they're telling me we're boring and they can't elaborate on that any further. And they said, go away, you've got a couple of weeks to work on this and come back and tell us what you're going to do. And we went back, we did the brainstorming and we kept asking the question, how can we provide a better distribution service to the body shop? Which Jason was completely the wrong question to be asking. We should have been asking, how can we provide a better service to the body shop, not just focused on distribution? And when we asked the right question, the penny dropped, we understood that what's really important to Body Shop, what are their strategic goals, what's really important to them? And what's really important to them then and now is the environment. And they really led the way on sustainability, natural products. And here we were with trucks belching out fumes through diesel. And we really kind of thought about that deeply and said, I know what we need to do. It wasn't me, actually, it was the fleet engineer said, I know what we need to do. We need to come up with a natural gas vehicle for Body Shop that aligns to their values. And that was the biggest lesson in my whole business life. We were focusing very narrowly on what we could do for them. We hadn't looked at what was really, really important to the Body Shop. 
And that's what we did. The project took a year or so to get together. We had manufacturers that turned us down, didn't want to work with us, blah, blah. But we got that truck on the road and that cemented our relationship. And from there on in, we continued to create a transformation to Body Shop in other areas. And that was a big lesson. And when we applied those principles to other opportunities, we secured them. We may not have time for another example. If you do, let me know. But yes, that was the principle. That was the principle of it. That was create a transformation. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it sounds like because you had some of that background insight, you really understood the values of the company. You were able to at least get to the solution to get to the point where the transformation would align. And I feel like I would be taken aback if I was just labeled as boring. You needed to go and do some homework to understand how to translate this into a proposal to make you more successful with the contract. So I really love this. And you keep hinting at another example that I'm curious to ask. Is it something that makes us dig a little more into the insights and how people can make sure that they're pitching the right thing and they're proposing the right transformation? Yeah, it's about taking a slightly different approach when you're going after these large opportunities. And again, this was another contract opportunity that was a multi-million pound opportunity. And they went out to tender. They went to all the large players, companies that were much bigger than us, you know, had kind of billions in turnover almost. And when we thought we would like to do business with them, they were on our target list anyway. What we did was, it was with Magnet Kitchens and we went into the showrooms of Magnet Kitchens and we spoke to the staff there and said, what's the biggest problems you're facing? We spoke to their clients to understand what were the big problems and we found this massive problem that wasn't addressed in their tender document at all. And it was that many of the kitchens were arriving damaged and items were missing. And therefore we could address that in our response back to them to say, look, you've got this big problem over here that it's causing a big disconnect for your customers because they've stripped out their kitchen waiting for the new one to arrive. When it arrives, items are missing and items are damaged. The fitters can't go in the next day. Your customers cross because, you know, they've stripped out their kitchen and it's causing them friction. And we won the contract because we'd identified this bigger issue that was linked to their strategic goal. Their strategic goal was to provide a full circle customer service. And this was a big breakdown in that, which they hadn't appreciated. So our proposal wasn't the cheapest proposal, wasn't the lowest cost proposal, but because we'd identified this big problem, we could take this big cost out of their business. And that was the reason for winning that. So again, linking it back to understanding their strategic goals and understanding what the problems are. I love how in most of your examples, you're not the cheapest proposal. And a lot of people are struggling and trying to just compete on price thinking, well, if I'm just cheaper, they'll choose me. But you're talking about how having a sense of understanding and really alignment with their strategic goals allows you to charge a premium, which creates at least the profit margins the company needs to be able to grow, scale, serve better. Are those some of the key things that we should be looking into if we want to be able to offer the experience and not just be a commoditized service product? Absolutely, Jason. Yeah, we've got to think about how can we make that business achieve what's important to them strategically. And very often they want to improve their margins. They want to improve customer experience. And we have to find how we can help them achieve that faster, 
quickly, more easily. And when we do that, they are keen to find out more. I'd love for you to give an example. Within the vital framework, you do speak about leadership and particularly leading the client. And I'd love to see if there's an example of how do you apply and show up as a person that's selling with this important leadership component? Well, I think it's very much about when you are actually in dialogue. So let's, let's take an example of where you have a client already, but you think there's growth potential in that client. And it's about having that conversation with the client that's more strategic than us providing a service to you. It's understanding what's important to their business again and considering yourself almost as a business advisor in a way that you are showing that you have the experience, expertise and knowledge to be able to take them to the place that they would like to get. But very often there's a big gap between you're providing a transactional service to creating a transformational service. And it's about setting out those expectations. And I use a very simple graph to ask the client where they think they are in their relationship with you, the supplier, between it being transactional and transformational. This gets the conversation going. So, they place where they think they are on the graph. But before you go there, you place where you think you are on that graph. And then you discuss it together, what the gap is. And that's about stepping up. That's about being brave to have that conversation. That's about opening up the conversation and the dialogue to say, we have a gap here. How could we address this together? Because I guess we both want to move up the axis and create transformation, don't we? And if the answer is yes, then we find ways that we can do that. So leading the client, working with the client, but being very open and transparent about where we are now and how we could get there. So that's so simple and so effective to open up the conversation. And it could even be done in the pre-sales before their client by saying, this is where I think we are. This is where you think we are. Where's the gap? And just asking those questions, which, you know, sometimes it's okay to get a no. Let's ask the question and find out where we are. If we don't ask, we don't know. I often say that those who choose comfort over conversion don't have the care to lead the customer to where they could be in a much better place. And so I love your framework. And Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us. And just to recap what I've taken away mostly from this conversation is the fact that if you're in sales, you're running a business, and you realize that there are big accounts that exist out there, you can always create an arm of your prospecting that goes for taking these big risks because the payoff is really big. And you'll realize that when you go for a big account, you do spend a little bit more time gathering those insights and being able to really get the data so you can stand out from the generic transactional services and products that they might be already doing business with. You can actually package something that's truly transformational.
We went through the vital framework where actually you go and map out what is the vision of how do you see yourselves working together, gathering those insights, proposing a transformational solution, leading them toward actions and really taking the leadership of the client. I want to encourage everybody who wants to go deeper on this conversation to pick up a copy of Winning Big in Sales, Proven Steps for Ambitious Teams to Win, Grow, and Retain Their Best Clients. Because I think when you step into the mindset and the ethos as Rebecca is sharing today is really not only allowing you to close more sales and especially those big accounts, but really expand your current ones and continue working with the existing ones, knowing that you're always going to be looking to bridge the gap and create more transformation for them. I also love how we ended on this powerful question that you can always ask is put out a graph and ask how transactional versus transformational is the current relationship with your clients. So you can start fixing that gap, seeing if there's opportunities to grow the account or at least fix some of the things that might be broken to enhance that relationship. I really love how you can actually approach every one of these accounts, these sales by really paying attention to what their strategic goals are. What are they looking to accomplish? So you can add in your proposals, in your conversation, a level of understanding that is beyond what is expected. And you might be the one that gets selected to offer that product and service, win the contract and not at a discount, but rather at a premium, which actually solves their problems in a powerful way. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your amazing insights. Once again, everybody, link to the book will be in the show notes. So go and pick up a copy of that. And I have one final question for you, Rebecca, which I love to ask my guests, which is you are on the Selling with Love podcast. And I have to ask you, what does selling with love mean to you? Well, I love the question. It means to me really understanding your clients so well that you know that you can make a significant difference to their business. That's what it means to me. Amen. We are cut from the same cloth. You're on the right show and we love you and your message. Rebecca, thanks again so much for coming here and sharing. And for everybody listening, keep selling with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.